I want to thank our sponsor, Planet Ford. Planet Ford has always been a proud supporter of law enforcement in the community, providing customer service and fleet management, sales and service. If you're looking for that personal quality service, contact Planet Ford in spring or online at planetford.com. You're listening to Crime Scene Today. We talk about current and future issues facing law enforcement, forensics, and crime scene investigations with subject matter experts from a law enforcement perspective. I'm your host, Dan Zentek. Joining me today on the show is Police Chief Alan Banks from Round Rock, Texas. Chief Banks is featured in Police Chief Magazine from the IACP on Great Ideas of 2020 Shaping the Future of Policing. One of those ideas is Operation Front Porch. We're going to get into with many other uh, programs that Chief Banks has implemented while he has been in Round Rock. Chief, thanks so much for joining us. If you could tell us just a little bit about uh, Round Rock, about your department, and uh, what you have going on there. Absolutely, Dan. Thank you so much for having me uh, on your show today. So we are Round Rock. We're just to the north of uh, Austin, Texas. So um, I've been here since 2014. Um, seen the population grow, and this is probably one of the fastest growing communities in the nation, um, and actually the area of Central Texas. So 120,000 in population. Uh, my department uh, is allotted 180 officers. We currently are at 169 with a few officers that are getting ready to graduate and come out to our department, and hopefully we get that 180 uh, number filled up. We are we're getting ready to open up Kalahari Resorts, which is going to be the largest indoor water park, uh, and I believe in the country. Uh, and it's also attached to one of the largest convention centers. So we are steadily growing. Uh, a lot going on here in Round Rock, and I just absolutely love being here uh, in Round Rock. Obviously, the citizens uh, love you being there. Uh, you were awarded Citizen of the Year uh, last year in Round Rock. It was last year. So the Chamber of Commerce actually uh, recognized the great work this department is doing. And uh, again, we're talking about innovations and just bringing different ideas outside of just uh, putting folks in handcuffs and taking them to jail. And uh, they they were uh, honoring me as uh, their civilian of the year. And so I was very blessed and honored to, to receive that uh, um, award. Well, in the IACP Police Chief Magazine, uh, they talked about one specific program you have going on. You have many uh, that are on your website. We're going to talk about many of those, but one that they talked about was uh, Operation Front Porch. Tell me about that. So one of the ideas with Operation Front Porch is really just seeing the rise in what we call uh, porch pirates. So your theft of your packages off your front porch. And we started seeing an increase in numbers from uh, 2014 through 2017. So one of the things I said is, is really challenged my uh, employees here is what can we do to try to bring those down uh, around the Christmas time area? Because we saw that the, we, re we received those packages um, primarily around that time. And uh, just thinking about it, one of the things we thought about is why, why don't we just have those packages delivered to our police department I mean, who's going to really break into a police department and steal those packages? So our community has a sense of uh, security, and it prevents those packages from being stolen. And so we started this program back in 2017. Uh, our community, some folks in our community really didn't know what to think about it. You know, some folks thought we wanted the packages sent here so we can have the dogs, you know, run around them and see if they were ill. 
Right. They're concerned about their privacy issues, what right. you may be doing. I mean, the first time I saw the article, the first thing I thought is that someone is going to send drugs to the police department. So, I mean, that's y'all going to get drugs shipped over there and then we're going to be part of <laughs> delivering drugs out to the community. So now y'all have citizens that are doing this. So it's not taking officers off the street. So the, the primary purpose of this is to keep the officers out on the streets to handle those uh, higher priority calls for service and, and not responding to take a property crime and spend an hour, hour and a half investigating those property crimes. And so what we do is we have our volunteers for our police department uh, who actually help run this program for us. And we average about 85 hours a year in volunteer time. So these are folks that, you know, I, I pay very, very well is $0 per year. Right. That allows you to double their income every year. I, I tell them every year this, we get, you know, this program continues to grow. They're getting a raise every year, hundred percent of zero. But uh, these are, these are folks that absolutely love working with us, love, love working around us. And they love this program and they have made a tremendous difference in the, the three years going on four years that we've been running this program. I know that many departments have uh, their Citizens Police Academy, and I gather that you pull many of your volunteers from that. Absolutely. So we ask them to go through our Citizens Police Academy so they know what our police department is all about. And I want them to know the people that they're, they're working with and around. So we actually ask them to go through that Citizens Police Academy. And some of them not only go through our Citizens Police Academy, they put their kids through our Junior Police Academy that we put on every single year during the summertime the kids are out of school. And so it's the double dose in the family. And uh, our whole goal is just to get our citizens around us as much as possible. Now, I have to say that's the first time I've heard of a junior uh, citizens police academy. So give me a little bit of insight as far as the ages and how that works and how you've implemented that and uh, working with, I guess, the kids and, and sort of a CPA uh, type of environment. Absolutely, Dan. So what we do is we bring eight-year-olds to 14-year-olds, and we actually break them down by age group. So we'll put eight to 10-year-olds, we'll put 11 to 12-year-olds, and 13 to 14-year-olds together. We separate them because of the age difference. We bring them to the police department in sessions during the summer. So we run this program for six weeks in the summertime that they're out of school. It's almost like a, a camp, a summer camp. But what they do is they get to interact with law enforcement. We actually put them through um, what an actual academy would look like. So they learn about crime scene, they learn about uh, um, investigations, uh, and we take them on field trips, we take them to swimming, we take them down to the police memorial. So we get them actually involved with, with our police officers. One of the things we want them to realize is that we are the friends, um, we are mentors for them, and we're not the enemy. We're, we're the good guys, we're not the bad guys. And by getting our kids and investing in our youth early, our hope is that in five and 10 years that they're gonna be very productive in our community. These are gonna be our, our future police officers. They're gonna be workers within our uh, community, our business community, and uh, maybe even future um, city council members. The important part of, of this program is it's 100% sponsored by our business community. And so our city doesn't put any money into it. Our businesses put money into it. And uh, how I sell that is I do tell them, these are gonna be your future employers. And so invest in them now because they are gonna make a difference for us uh, down the road. And how long have, uh, or when did you start this program? So we started this, the J Junior Police Academy in 2014. 
So it's been around now for six years. Uh, have you had enough time that uh, you've had, you've seen the turnaround or you've seen the impact in the community uh, with uh, one of these uh, kids that have gone through before? I tell you the best story, Dan, is when I have kids that run up to me um, when I'm out in the streets and I'm, I'm walking around our different events and they run up and say, chief, chief, you know, we loved your academy. I was one of, one of the, the cadets at the academy. We have some uh, graduates of the academy that are actually have gone into the military. And I have one specific that is actually becoming an officer in the military right now. Um, we have some that just absolutely want, to, you know, their mindset on being police officers. And those are the stories I, I love to hear. And there's going to be lives that we've changed that we'll never know. Um, that uh, will be productive, whether they move on to other cities, other states. Um, but our, our hope is that that uh, we made a huge difference in those lives and, and we change those lives forever. Many of the programs that you have, and it seems that you're very involved in, in all aspects of the community, uh, but a focus primarily on uh, the youth of the community and, and building those relationships as they come up. And uh, one uh, of your programs I saw in there was the uh, it was back to school celebration or, or something like that. So if you could tell us how uh, that's involved with the police department interacting, I guess, with the, the schools or the kids going back to school and uh, what you've done with that. So back to school celebration, we actually originally started that in 2014 and I brought it in from Albuquerque. I retired out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, 21 and a half years, um, made it up to assistant chief, um, was blessed enough to do a small stint as an interim chief before I retired and came came here to Round Rock. My brother and I um, started uh, what was called Cuts for Kids. And what we did is we, we wanted the opportunity to give back to, to kids that were in need, to underprivileged kids back in Albuquerque. And when I brought that, um, that program here to Round Rock, we actually changed the name and it came back to school celebration. And this gave the kids in our community the opportunity to come and be, again, be around law enforcement. Um, we were able to work out with the, our business community, our medical community, that these kids got free well wellness checks, free physicals. Um, we fed them and their family lunches. Uh, for that afternoon, we had games set up for them. We brought in the military, so they were able to interact with the military. Kids in our community that were um, special, specialized in um, the musical instruments or, or with song, we set up stages and for the entire afternoon, they were the ones that actually did uh, concerts for uh, the folks that were at, at our back to school celebration. When we started this in 2014, we had about 500 people that showed up. 2019, we had over 13,000 uh, people that came through the gates. Now, again, what's the population of Round Rock, Texas? 120,000 people. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot of buy-in from your community. I mean, I know that you uh, probably are not going to get the same this year. Well, this year we actually canceled it, unfortunately. But uh, our expectation from last year was we were anticipating roughly around 20,000 people to come through the gates this year. But, you know, we wanted to be safe, so we canceled it this year. We're going to work on some other programs this year to kind of get right before school starts. We're going to do what's called Pops for Cop, Pops with Cops. So we're actually going to have a drive through popsicle give giveaway. So we're going to have uh, Families in, in cars come by. We're going to give out popsicles and snow cones to those families. Just, again, to say we're thinking about you and we're here with you. And, and just to thank our community for, for always uh, supporting us and, and, and being good to us as well. I saw that uh, y'all also have a chaplaincy program, which uh, seems to be up and coming very popular uh, in police departments now, uh, taking care of the mental wellness of our officers and then also to build bridges and relationships in the community. I'm just curious how uh, 
your program works and what you've done implementing it uh, in Round Rock? It's kind of twofold in, in dealing with our chaplains. We have chaplains that are in-house that actually work with uh, internal. So they work with our employees, um, whether it's marriages, counseling, um, just getting the mind right. And I always say our, our, we need a healthy mind as well as a physical body. Um, you know, we have a lot of officers that go through P PTSD and sometimes we don't know about it until it's too late in some cases. And so our job is to stop that stigma of suicide in, in amongst law enforcement. So we work real hard with our internal chaplains to, to deal with that. All of our chaplains are volunteer. They come from within our community um, and, and they, we put them through training and they just come out and ride with our officers and assist our officers and our civilian employee. Additionally, we work with our faith-based group out in the community. So we want to be, uh, we want to be very active with the church within the community. It doesn't matter what the denomination is. Um, what matters is the fact that it's building those relationships with all religions. Um, just because I'm a certain religion doesn't mean I can't learn or be a part or, or help with whatever religion. So we have a very um, good relationship with uh, our faith-based leaders throughout Round Rock. No, no. And and you're right. And they have to believe that. They have to believe that we're there for their best interest. And, and it's it's not just a lip service as well. Um, and that's what we we talk about. That's why we actually show up to services. Um, and we want to be a part and just just let them know we're there for them, for them. There's been several times I've shown up to a mosque and taken off my shoes and, and gone in and um, just to learn, you know, what what their beliefs are and, and their traditions. And I think it's important that we're we're part of our our community, regardless of who you are and and what what you believe in. We have to be part of that community. Now, Chief, you've been in law enforcement for 28 years, and I always look. Uh, at other law enforcement leaders that have been around a long time to really uh, give some insight, some direction on uh, things that are happening around the country uh, involving law enforcement, opinion of law enforcement. And, you know, we're lucky enough in our areas of Round Rock and, and where I police that we have a great support by our communities, but that's not always the case that's happening around the country. And so a big question that uh, I like to ask those that have been around and have some insight is what do you believe uh, the solution is uh, with uh, working with the community to try to build better relations uh, to speak out to maybe some of these areas that have uh, difficulties uh, with relationship between their citizens uh, and the police department that's a good question and you know I, I think a lot of it has to do with sitting down and, and talking to the community and seeing what the community needs and and what is their um issues with law enforcement you know i've often said that putting handcuffs on somebody and taking them to jail taking them to jail is not always the answer and i think that's why we've had such a wonderful relationship and we didn't see a lot of the problems that uh, here in round rock as we saw around the nation um is because that education, I believe, is very important. And if you just sit down and you talk to somebody about 
um, not getting in trouble, or if they do get in trouble, is explaining the consequences as opposed to just throwing handcuffs and th- make you know. Now they have that record. School to prison pipelines an issue. Um, getting youth, throwing youth in jail, and and them starting their record. You have some. We have to look at it, and we have to change those ways. You know, and I know where I grew up, and I knew how I grew up, and the the issues that I faced um, back in Albuquerque. Um, and my whole job in 28 years, I've tried to change or make a difference in the youth um, in, in, within the community. I don't want them to to be a statistic. I want them to be successful. And I think we, somewhere in law enforcement, you have to have a robust uh, community affairs unit and you have to get out in the community and you have to start those relationships and build, build those bridges with the community. Um, and also, and I think is important is your police department should look and mirror the makeup of your community. You have you have to look like your community. Now you mentioned a community uh, affairs unit, so that's someone specifically that's uh, designated to a specific assignment. Community affairs, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So, what exactly uh, does that look like? What um, what program, or I guess what uh, division? What are they involved in? For us, and, and speaking generally for Round Rock, I actually have a civilian and a sworn. Um, personnel within that unit because uh, sometimes I think when when you're not in uniform you can you can reach out to certain people that will listen in some cases people want to see see an officer or person in uniform so I actually have both of them in that unit their job mainly is to get out into the community and talk about um, this police department it's to start to get get those programs get people involved in these in the, our programs that we have going on and we average about 550 community events a year um, we stay busy here in Round Rock, but it's paying off. Um, and how it's paying off is people can always go back and say, we'll give Round Rock the benefit of the doubt, let them investigate, or, you know what, they, you know, we know how they operate and what they stand for. We know Chief Banks' philosophies, and that's important. And that's what the community affairs um, positions are for, is to get out in the community and, and have those uh, conversations. Well, I, I wish I would have brought them from Albuquerque. Is uh, really, I started a lot of these here in Round Rock. Um, I just happened to be blessed enough to work in in Albuquerque, and I really say Albuquerque really taught me how to be a, a police officer. Round Rock has taught me to be an administrator and a chief, which has been awesome because they've allowed me the opportunity to to um, do these programs um, and be creative and you know, again, it's to educate. Uh, and I just love the fact that I'm able to do that. And I think it's paid dividends. And the fact that uh, we've built those relationships with our public and they trust us. Uh, the hardest the hardest part about it um, is getting that trust. And you see what's going on around the world and people, you know, they, they see social media, they see mainstream media, they read the papers and they see all that negativity. And it kind of it draws them away from the trust of law enforcement. And our, our job is to stay in front of that and, and to make sure that they realize what Round Rock's all about and what we stand for. I want them to see my heart and, and understand it's not about throwing them behind bars. It's not, it's about building building those relationships. And I think if we continue to build those relationships, it's gonna reduce the, uh, the, the, the crime, uh, the amount of crime that we have within our community itself. 
The other hurdle that I, I see is when people move in, like I said, we're probably one of the fastest growing communities in, here in Central Texas. And Central, Central Texas is growing super fast, but um, people coming in from the outside, coming from other areas outside of the state of Texas, and they don't know how we operate as a police department. So their biases or their prejudices or, or just how they, they view law enforcement in their areas, um, they bring that with them. So our job is to say, we are different. This is how we operate. Give us the opportunity. Come to a, a, a Citizens Police Academy and learn about this police department and how we both together can make a, a high quality of life and uh, make Round Rock a safe community to live, work, and play. Yeah, well, uh, you are just finishing a police academy. You have some cadets that are uh, about to hit the streets. So congratulations on adding some new people. Yes, uh, I know one of the problems that we have in recruiting right now is obviously some people don't want to get into law enforcement. Others just look at it as a job <laughs> and not as a career. Yes, sir. So how do we go about uh, getting out there and getting people that want to be in law enforcement, still have a passion for doing it and getting out there. And what are some ideas, I guess, to uh, overcome, I guess, the recruiting problem or to uh, recruiting ideas to get more people involved in law enforcement that should be in law enforcement? You know, I think we just got to stay at it and, and, and keep working and working at it. And some of the different ideas is get into universities, get into criminal justice programs and partner with, with certain universities and colleges in their criminal justice program and, and pull people from, from there. Um, that's one idea. The other idea that we have is we get people in Citizens Police Academy and we constantly push them toward this occupation. I don't want to fill the seats just to fill the seats. I want people who have a passion for, for this uh, occupation. And, and like I said earlier, that's why we do a junior police academy and a citizens police academy, because we want people interested, invested in our, our department. Um, and we're going to invest in, in other people. But if you don't get out in front of people and, and sell your department, then you're not going to fare well in the recruiting um, aspect. And so we go out and we sell. We're, we're lucky enough. We have a AAA baseball club, the Express, out here that we can advertise. And, you know, we yeah, I have yeah. actually uh, been to some of their games. It's actually uh, Round Rock's a beautiful place to begin with, but uh, yeah, it's just a great evening out. Uh, Absolutely, and I mean they have an amazing stadium there in Round Rock. Rated right, right as one of the best AAA ballparks in uh, in the country, so very proud of it. Very proud. That's just you know we we get an opportunity to get out in front of the public and and talk to them about what we do and why we do it. You know, I think one of the things that we've been facing lately is you you get people that are are coming out that uh, what they're what they're looking for is is a job. Yeah. Uh, they're not exactly looking for that career, and right. and that's actually um, a, a big game changer because you can go get a job anywhere. You yes. Know? And you know, we had one that came in uh, and during the interview he said, you know, well, why do you want to be a police officer? You know, and his response during the interview was, oh, I just need a job. Well, I mean, you can get a job somewhere else, you know, where people aren't going to be wanting to shoot you and fight you and all these things. And, you know, I can't remember what comedian has said it, but when, you know, when they issue you a gun, a bulletproof vest and taser and, and bullets, I mean, you should get an idea that uh, you're about to get involved in something that's, that's pretty dangerous. Uh, and this not something just for money. Right. right. Uh, so uh, there's other options than that, but it seems to be something that we are facing more regularly. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's uh, trying to, I guess, to a point, weed out people that are getting in 
uh, that don't have that commitment because that commitment then uh, goes to if you're just there for a job, then you're not really there for the mm. community and trying to be there for the community and show your passion for doing the job, which is serving others, which is taking care of others in your community. And if you don't have that going in, if you're not, if your purpose is not actually to serve and to provide protection and security to your community, you're going to fail. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'll see it. And, you know, and you, you said it perfectly. People get in an interview and say they need a job. You know, this is something that interests them. They saw it, you know, advertising. They, they wanted to see what this was all about. And we can't hire those people. Those people do not belong in uniform. We need people that have the passion, the heart, and the, the desire to be law, in law enforcement. And that's why I truly believe we see some of the problems that we do in law enforcement. And not every officer is a bad apple. We know that. There's there are some bad apples out there. And those are the folks that, that either forgot what the, the purpose of that uniform and that badge are for, or people who came in and said they just need a job. Um, and I tell you, we can be selective in, in hiring. And sometimes I'd rather have a vacancy go on for a year or two years, as opposed to bringing somebody in who just, you know, believe this is a nine to five and think they're going to get paid well. Well, one of the problems that we also run into is that you have a person that you've hired to, to fill that spot. And Instead, what's actually happening is they're taking up a spot of a person that uh, may have come on a week later that you would have interviewed that would have been much better. Right. And so then you now have this person who's taken this spot that now you have discipline problems you have to deal with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and in reality, if we would have just waited, then we could have put another person in that spot that actually has a desire to serve and would be more beneficial to the department. That deserve that deserve that seat. You're right. Absolutely. But I mean, there are things in place that uh, give us more difficulty. I mean, if you hire a bad officer, you know, there's things in place that are supposed to protect good officers and, you know, such as uh, unions and civil service and contracts, those type of things. But if you have a bad officer in that spot, uh, you still have to go through the same procedures to try to get rid of them. And while mm-hmm. you're working on addressing those discipline issues, then uh, that's, again, that's time that uh, you're missing out on some great right. employees, you know, that, that could be there uh, to fill that spot and serve the community for the people that we're truly looking for. You know, so it, it becomes uh, more important in our recruiting and our hiring effort and our interview process that uh, to make sure the reason people are getting in this is not just because it's a job, that it's actually a career. It's something that they want to do. And, and it's it's a service industry. It is there for us to serve the public, uh, for us to meet their needs and make them secure uh, in their homes and in their lives and have them have feeling that security. And that requires a special person. It's not someone who's just looking for a paycheck. And as long as uh, we fill them with people that are just looking for a paycheck. We're going to continue to have uh, these type of problems that we have to continue to address. Right. Right. You know, let's face it. There's a lot of people that they, they want to be a cop uh, until they see what it takes to truly be a cop. Right. (laughs) And actually do the job that you have to do out there and the behind the scenes that they don't normally see. That is true. That is true. Those are the ones that we have to weed out and, and we have to get them out of that uniform. Um, and I know as, as executives that we try hard, but you said it earlier, you know, when you have unions involved, contracts, civil service, it makes it very difficult. 
those are there to protect the good officers and, and to make sure whether it's benefits, pay, um, make sure they're, they're not uh, treated unfairly. That's what it's there for. It's not to protect the bad officers. But You know, and, and, and you're right. I mean, what's there for is, I mean, let's face mm-hmm. it, there's, there's bad administrators too. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, some people make it up into management and um, they are, are not good at uh, being managers, not good at being administrators and actually hurt the department. Yes, sir. Wrongfully um, terminate and fire and, and write up some very good officers. And I mean, that's the purpose behind the union. That's the purpose behind civil service. You know, but it does bring up another question, uh, sort of a, a nationwide debate going on right now. I agree. Yes, sir. That is whether or not we should have a national database to address problem officers. And in doing so, uh, you know, one of the, the arguments is that we already do background checks. And if there's already a background check, if someone's actually looking into that person and doing a proper background check, then we really wouldn't need a national database uh, that, that seems sort of redundant and doing well the, yeah and you're, and you're right but here here's the problem that i see when when we do our background checks is is sometimes that you'll have some cities that uh will tell you uh they won't give you all the information even if you have a waiver they they not give you all the information and they'll leave out some uh very important information and i had a conversation with congressman john carter here out of round rock about the national da- database um, I, I can't fly any of my backgrounders out to Hawaii and, and you know, to do those investigations. And so, well, I mean, just so you know, they do want to go. Me, they, <laughs> they, I'll speak for them. They actually want to be there. I would have a line of officers wanting to go out and do those back, the background investigations. But I think if we put it on the cities or the departments to reveal all of the information, all of the, the investigations or discipline, it would make it easier for us in the, in the background portion of that invest, investigation. Um, I, I agree with you, and I see exactly which, where you're going with that uh, in that conversation. And it can be difficult uh, to get all the information, but we also need to hold those departments accountable who do not uh, reveal um, any disciplinary issues or actions taken against officers. Oh, I agree. I, I see it as an, an ongoing problem. I, I guess my point is that if they aren't going to reveal it normally to us, uh, they probably would not put it in the database. And I think you're correct. It certainly is an audit-type system that right. that someone would still have to hold them accountable on what they Terrifying. put in. Right. right. What what they put in or whatnot. Otherwise, we still are not getting it. Right. No, I hear, I hear exactly what you're saying. And, and, again, I think we have to hold those agencies accountable regardless if they're bad agencies or they're not documenting uh, the way they need to document something needs to be done you know every just like tico texas commission on law enforcement their standards and we have to uphold those those standards and uh, you said the f5 there's certain documentation that's there um and so i think we we that's something we definitely need to look at um whether or not we, it, it goes forward or not i think it's it's a good conversation starter conversation piece well, I don't know if uh, you've experienced this problem. One of the uh, concerns or gripes that I've heard uh, in reference to the F5 uh, TCOL, uh, Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, uh, that mm-hmm. if we put a dishonorable on there, that they can appeal it. And obviously there's yeah. a purpose for that uh, if someone is, again, uh, wrongly terminated. But 
it seems as though, at least the concerns I've heard, is that things are getting sort of rubber stamped, meaning that if they show up uh, for their appeal hearing, that it gets put as a, a general discharge versus a dishonorable, which sort of goes against uh, administrators trying to pass on that information to other people that may hire in the future and actually try to weed out some of these officers that shouldn't be officers. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That would be a concern. You're, you're absolutely right. That's something that, again, we need to have the conversations about how do we fix it? How do we how do we make it right? And, uh, you know, it's going to take chiefs. It's, it's going to take uh, um, executives, sheriffs to, to have those conversations to work on those. Um, because, again, we're all we're all wanting and working toward having great departments. And I, I'm blessed. I, you know, Round Rock is a good department. And I don't say that because I'm the chief here. I say that because I have men and women who work very hard at doing what's right and to take care of this community. I have a great community who works in, in tandem with us because they do believe in high quality of life and they believe in a, a crime-free city. Um, I wish we were crime-free, but you know we, we're doing some good things over here. But we have to have those conversations to help other cities and, and help the process. Well, Chief, you're absolutely correct. It, it's not about the administrator that makes the department the public view. Uh, no. it, it's not the elected official. It's the people on the streets. It's the amazing men and women that we have yes, working sir. for us. And I always look at it as, you know, you're the conductor of an orchestra. And you know by your experience how it should be played. But they're the ones playing <laughs> the instruments. They're the ones that are out there. And they're I the like ones that. that are actually uh, doing the performance. Uh, that is making an impact and emotional uh, change in the community. Obviously, your officers are doing an amazing job out there representing you. Uh, Appreciate you know, that. By you getting uh, Citizen of the Year is certainly the work that they do that represents you. So one question that uh, I ask uh, law enforcement leaders is with changing technology with um, the future of law enforcement, what do you see as some things that are coming out that uh, are changing our future and the way that we police and impacting us? Some of the things I see and I, you know, we're going to, and I'll give you an example for us is uh, we've had body worn cameras for a very long time. We've had dash cameras for a very long time and some of the new technology uh, on the dash cameras, we're, we're able to tap into them while officers are out in the field. And so we can see what's going on live. Um, I love that technology because then I can watch uh, what an officer is doing, what's going on. And, and not to, I'm not being big brother over the officer, but I can actually um, um, watch the scene and be able to respond immediately to that. So I think technology like that is absolutely amazing. We know that we have a lot of, um, white collar crime, we have cyber crime, a lot of that's up and coming. So some of the, the new technology when it comes to combating the cyber crimes, I, I love. Um, we're working on that uh, uh, fairly regularly here. Our challenges right now are the cyber crimes and dealing with, with those, those uh, type of crimes. Um, even when it comes to um, where they're coming from, a lot of them aren't even in the state. And how do we prosecute those folks uh, on the state level if uh, their offenders are from other states or other countries. And that, that's a huge problem for us here in, uh, uh, in the United States in general. So I would love to see uh, us working together with the federal government to be able to, to stop those put folks behind or, or make them accountable and pay for their actions. Uh, that's huge. You know, one of the issues with uh, doing technology crimes is always stay on top. Always. 
of you know what the latest trend is, what the latest technology, you know, in running uh, the ICAC division, uh, trying to keep up with the latest technology. I mean, the the computers are expensive. Uh, the uh, software is expensive that we have to put into this. You know, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, the uh, computer that we bought, the initial one for our forensic examination, was right at sixteen thousand uh, dollars just to analyze computers. Yes. You know, so uh, and as it's always changing, now we're looking at going to the cloud and uh, with the body worn cameras and things like that. And storage has become an issue. And uh, on top of storage, then you have uh, the latest devices mm. that you have to put up, uh, put out there to try to catch them yes, because they're gonna, they're going to be changing uh, the way that uh, they uh, are looking to try to find kids online, to try to reach out to kids online, and so it's ever changing. We have to stay on top of that and keep uh, as far as. Uh, the cost of these programs. I mean, one program that is used to, to analyze cell phones uh, yes, sir. will cost mm-hmm. uh, you know ten thousand dollars for each one, and and the maintenance cost. The maintenance cost alone can be in the tens to hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, your licensing fee. Then that's where they get you right is your licensing fee. And the the next thing that it seems that uh, has come up as a growing cost is how much storage you need. Well, the more body cameras you add, the more evidence that you add uh that's going to be additional cost as it grows and grows and that's going to be additional cost to your maintenance fees so right you know as we have the new technology it's right becoming uh more costly which we sort of go in understanding which is an impact to our budgets and and such recently uh started with body cams and uh, currently we're going to local servers uh, you said you've been used for a while i'm curious uh, are y'all using a local server or is this something that y'all are using cloud-based that y'all are now going to the cloud so originally and we just switched over to new body cameras our old system was actually on servers and it was taking up a lot of room we have recently went to the cloud um However, we still have to delete or purge video. Um, that we, we we're just it's just not out there, and we don't need it. But uh, that is serious. But the cloud is absolutely costly, and that's the unfortunate part. Is and everything you do is going to cost money. But we we have gone to the cloud. So I I had a question for you. We're currently searching this ourselves uh, as far as an electronic way. Uh, to send evidence, uh, electronic digital evidence, to our DA's office. And this is something we're currently exploring. Right now, we're still burning DVDs. If y'all got out of the DVD burning business, uh, or uh, what are y'all doing to get your electronic evidence over to the DA? We have an electronic way to send it to the DA or the the county attorney as well, Um, and also our uh, municipal attorney. So it's a great system. we love the system because it's really, we can put everything in, in one file and send it electronically. So it saves us costs. We no longer have to burn those disks. And our county attorney, district attorney, they're both on board. So they are actually on the same system, which makes it very easy for us. So I'm curious what y'all are doing with uh, open records requests. I know that, uh, I know we get a lot. I'm sure that you get a lot as far as uh, redactions yes, and sir. stuff. Uh, and, it is. And uh, dealing with those um, so you have th- some things on the cloud, or I guess you have a, a lot of things on the cloud. So 
how are y'all dealing with the open records request? Did y'all have to hire somebody new? Uh, I know that we receive uh, sometimes voluminous requests that uh, would just take uh, take a, a, a person, a position to actually handle these. And uh, so what are what are y'all doing with sort of the changes of the Information Act of people asking for things? So, so the open records requests, we actually average about 100 to 115 requests a month. Uh, in regards to that. Not only that, we also have um, the cameras that are at intersections as well. So that's kind of, we get both of those uh, requests for open records. I have hired an additional staff member um, and our city clerk also deals with our open records request. Um, once we get those open records requests, if there's any redaction, we make sure that our city attorney uh, gives us the, um, the approval to do the redaction she also, our city attorney, also sends it to the attorney general's office for um, uh, approval to release anything that we feel that we can't release to get their their say so on it. So it's a it's a it's a time consuming process. It is. It really is. Well, and I mean, many of the requests. I mean, I know the reason behind it, and certainly for citizens need the information. But we get a lot of requests that are just people trying to circumvent a uh, normal process. Right. Right. And we get we get those yeah we get those as well and some of some of those requests we find out it's from vendors and they just they want to get a lot of information to see what we, we have what we're operating on and and how that's that's going they want the data um, and so we're trying to track those and and eliminate a lot of those yeah I mean um, many that we get are are people that could get it through normal means uh, you know uh, lawyers that could use subpoena process and and other processes through the court that, that are normally allowed. But uh, the uh, using a public information request is a lot easier, a lot faster for them to get the information. Yeah, open records are much easier, right? You're absolutely correct. Well, Chief, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing uh, um, your programs and, and just amazing programs. And there seems so many. And even looking further on the website, I see one of your chiefs that uh, is is teaching kids how to play drums and uh, just being involved in the community. Uh, you just sound like you have a, a great staff there, a great department that uh, uh, you've been able to create so many things to work in the community. And uh, I hope that uh, some people uh, that are listening, uh, that are also administrators, uh, take something away from this and, and maybe bring some of these programs to their community as we work to build relationships. So again, I just appreciate you coming on and thank you so much for sharing all your experience and just everything that you've accomplished at uh, Round Rock and in uh, your department and in your community. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you for listening to Crime Scene today. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, if there's a topic that you would like us to cover or you'd like to sponsor the show, just reach out to me at dan at crimescenetoday.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.